You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 459 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Jeremy Smith is a designer and developer who's been working in Rails since 2009. He runs a tiny one-person web studio called Hybrid. He currently does fractional retainer contracts with small organizations and solo founders, partnering with them to build and maintain their Rails applications. Mark Locklear is a web developer project manager at the Extension Foundation and has 25 years of IT experience, including network administration, quality assurance, and software development. He is an O'Reilly author and adjunct instructor at Asheville Buncombe Technical Community College and is passionate about education and teaching students software development. Welcome to the Ruby on Wales podcast, Jeremy and Mark. Thanks, Brittany. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yep. Same here. So great to have a duo on the show. I am so interested to talk about your conference, but Jeremy, what is your developer origin story? So I fell in love with the web and building websites in my teens in the mid 90s. And then when I went to college, I majored in systems analysis. It's similar to computer science. In high school, I had straight A's, but I really struggled with my systems analysis classes my first semester. I could not figure out how classes on data structures or intro to C++ related to the kinds of things that I wanted to build. And when I got a D on my first midterm, I thought, I'm not smart enough to do this. So I actually dropped out of the program I was in. I switched my major to interdisciplinary studies. But the funny thing was, I, at the time, was working for the Environmental Health and Safety Department on campus, building web applications for them, among other things. And I was building websites nonstop in my dorm room. So when I graduated, I got some jobs doing a mix of design and web development. I eventually taught myself ASP Classic and then some PHP. But then around 2008, 2009, in there, I realized that I needed to move to a web framework for the organization that I was working for. And at the time, I was looking at Ruby on Rails, Django and Python, and CodeIgniter and PHP. And I ended up picking Rails, and I'm so glad that I did. I initially learned Rails to build things, but from there, it kind of worked back into learning Ruby and then object-oriented programming and design patterns and automated testing and the larger world of software development practices. So one thing I've kind of looking back that I've learned about myself is that I have to start with the practical and work back into the theoretical. And it doesn't really work for me the other way around. I feel like there are a lot of purists who might say that you have to start with these fundamentals of a language and then build on top of them. You know, like don't use things until you understand them. But for me, I had to use them first before I could understand them. That ended up being the way I got into development, eventually learning Ruby and really becoming kind of growing up in software development. I love that approach so much. And I completely agree with you. I like to use it before I learn how it works. Do you happen to remember what version of Rails you onboarded on? I'm pretty sure it was maybe Rails 2.3. Ooh, okay. So you came right before Rails 3. That must have been a wild time for you. Yeah, yeah. Those early upgrades were pretty staggering compared to the major version changes these days. Totally agreed. Now, Mark, what is your developer origin story? So I, unlike Jeremy, I did not get straight A's in high school. I I joined the military right out of high school and I was active duty for about four years, but this is back in the early nineties. I got an associate's degree while I was in part of the agreement with my parents was that they would let me join if I'd agreed to start college while I was in. So I went to night school while I was in the military. And back then, the degree, I think, was information systems. And so that sort of got me started in tech. You know, was never good at math, was always sort of turned off by that. So when I left the military and started working on my undergrad, 
I looked at computer science programs, but it, it was pretty intimidated by again, a lot of the math and the hard sciences sort of thing. So I got an undergraduate in physical education and biology was going to teach school just like my mom and dad did. And that last semester of my education bachelor's, we had an educational technology class. And during that class, I sort of realized that, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. So I knew technology. I think the fact that I had an associate's degree in technology prior to that and then taking this class, I knew that technology was the route that I wanted to go, even if it was in the context of education, then so be it. But I graduated, finished my undergrad and had an opportunity to do, at the time, LAN administrators, sort of network administrators was a fairly popular thing. And that was a route that a lot of folks were going. And again, this is early to mid nineties. So I actually worked as a network administrator for about two years from that, got into quality assurance work and did QA work, mostly just manual QA work, not much automated stuff. Did that for about 10 years and just basically got burned out with that and was ready for a change. So in 2008, I went back to school, although I wasn't seeking a degree, I just basically went to actually the community college that I teach at now and took every programming class that they had and was basically a professional student for about a year and a half and did a couple of classes of PHP and then also Java and C++. Did that for about a year and a half and then did some contract work for Red Hat in Raleigh. And while I was doing that, the team that I was working with there was the quality assurance work. It was a quality assurance engineering job. The QA work that I was doing with that group was on a Ruby on Rails app. So that was my first introduction to Rails and the Ruby on Rails framework. I think we're on Rails 2, 3. Sounds like similar time frame to what Jeremy said. That would have been 2010, 2011 in that time frame. But I wasn't doing any production coding work on the application. I was only testing it, but that introduction to it allowed me to get to know the framework, started working with it more, started doing some personal projects, things like that. I left that position, went to work at the local community college and got to write some custom applications there and then moved on to the position I'm in now where, again, I was hired as a web developer, just did sort of straight heads down web development work for a few years and then have moved sort of more into a project management role for the last few years. That is a whirlwind of a developer origin story. Can yeah. I just give you some major kudos for doing quality assurance for 10 years? That is not easy. <laughs> and anybody who's good at quality assurance, that is a very special skill. And I think it's important that we automate it, but there is no match sometimes to just really knowing the application and being able to do some manual QA. So Jeremy, how did the two of you know each other? So I live down in Greenville, South Carolina. It's about an hour south of Asheville. And I'm pretty sure that Mark and I met when I lived briefly in Asheville, like eight or nine years ago while I was attending urban farm school. I think we probably met at a local coders meetup there. And I think we probably had a few brief interactions since then, but I think it was on the flight home from Rails SAS conference in LA back in the fall. I just tweeted out that I was very tempted to put on a regional Ruby conference in Asheville. And was anybody interested? And Mark immediately offered to help. And since I knew him and thought he was a good guy, I just picked up from there and the rest is history. I love that. And that brings us to the subject of why I have you two here today. So what is Blue Ridge Ruby? 
So Blue Ridge Ruby is a brand new regional Ruby conference in Asheville, North Carolina. It's two-day, single track. We've got a really cool historic venue with a gorgeous theater. Asheville has a great food and beer scene, and the downtown is really fun. There's a lot of things to do outdoors around town. And I'm personally hoping it's equal parts making friends, learning and getting inspired by talks, and having fun exploring a great mountain town. I have never been to Asheville. It's definitely on my bucket list, but the food scene is definitely very well known. So I'm just super excited about that. I'm curious to hear from both of you. For a while there, we had the major conferences. Mm -hmm. We had Euroco, we had RailsConf, we had RubyConf, and we kind of saw the small regional conferences disappear. And we're now starting to see a resurgence of them. So I'm curious, why are small conferences important to the Ruby community? I'll jump in there. And I was actually thinking about this question prior to us doing the podcast. And and I wonder if the amount of remote work is not contributing to the number of smaller conferences and just conference going in general. I think the fact that prior to the pandemic, remote work was a thing, but obviously the pandemic has set up that process by a huge amount. So I wonder if the fact that folks are working from home more, the amount of interaction, not just with the community, but with other coworkers is not as much as it was prior to the pandemic and prior to remote work. So I can't help but wonder if that's going to increase not just conference going, but the number of small conferences and small regional conferences that we'll start seeing be put on. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Did you know that Honey Badger status pages now come with incident management? As an engineering manager on a team who recently implemented an incident management process, I was super excited to hear this. Build confidence with a public status page that shows your live service status and incident history. The ability to bring your own domain is key here. Transparency inspires trust. When your next outage happens, communication is gonna be key. Alert your users of issues early and keep them updated as each incident unfolds with incident management. Plus, if you have scheduled maintenance, you can keep your users informed as your team works through the window. Head on over to honeybadger.io to learn more. What do you think, Jeremy? You know, I think there was a period where there were just a lot of regional conferences. I was looking yesterday at rubyconferences.org and looking back through prior years to see how many regional conferences they had. And like in 2015, I think there was almost 50 conferences total, a lot of them regional. That's just so many compared to today. I'm guessing part of that has to do with the sort of influx of new people into an ecosystem that a lot of them are looking to connect and a lot of companies are looking to hire. I think that ends up fueling a lot of the gatherings around that. And particularly on the financial side, you need sponsorships a lot of times to pull off a conference and companies that are hiring or are heavily invested in a new ecosystem, that's where they're often putting money. And so I think that kind of makes sense that in a sense, Ruby on Rails is cooled and matured and the new hotness is maybe elsewhere that some of the financial aspects have changed. What's really exciting to me though, is that we've actually seen a, an increase maybe in the past two years of, I think, interest around community in a new way. The Rails community has always been really strong, but I think there's been a resurgence in the desire for connecting physically in places that we're together. And I'm hoping to see that number on rubyconferences.org to be a lot higher this year. And in the coming years, we're putting our time money where our mouth is on that one, you know, to say like, we want to be involved in that as well. I think real quick, Jeremy and I have talked about this on 
there's not really a signature Ruby conference or really a tech conference when you look at the Southeast. And I mean, you know, yeah. when you look at Raleigh Durham, big tech hub, Atlanta, a lot of tech there. There's really not. Now, again, Ruby on Rails has been to Atlanta twice. They were there maybe five years ago or so, and then they're going to be back there this spring. But there's no sort of signature tech conference in the Southeast, and there's certainly not the Ruby conferences. So that, that's the other thing that I was glad to see Jeremy suggest us having the conference here is that it gives an opportunity for people who are Ruby practitioners to have a conference that's within a two, three, four hour drive of where they live and work. I'm curious if you two would agree with me on this, but my view around conferences has significantly changed over the last 10 years. I remember a time where I would go to a conference, I would leave the airport, go to the conference, I'd be in the hotel the whole time and not really see the city at all. It wasn't really a destination for me. I would get back to the airport and I would fly home. Now I'm looking at these regional conferences as an excuse to visit a town that I've never been to, to experience some things. Yeah, I might miss a couple of talks, but like I could go out to like a really great lunch. I see as an excuse to see my Ruby friends. We're going to make a trip to a town and there happens to be a conference there with really great content. But I'm using it not as a vacation per se, but really I want to enjoy the experience of it all and kind of enjoy that with people in the community that I really admire and adore. Part of the reason I really love the regional conferences is just you get to have like that different vibe for each one that you go to. I think Rail SAS is going to be a wildly, well, I can tell you Rail SAS was a wildly different regional conference yeah. than RubyConf Mini was. Totally. Yeah. So I just mentioned a couple of regional conferences that we've been to in the last year, but I'm curious between you two, what conference experiences in the last year might have inspired you? Prior to last year, I was not attending many conferences. I've been sort of a lurker in the Rails community for years and years. But other than going to Southeast Ruby a couple times, which was one of my favorite conferences, I never went to a Rails conf, never went to a Ruby conf. It was this last year that I decided I was going to do something different. And I was going to push myself to go to a lot of conferences, make friends, meet people, and just be more involved in the community. And I ended up going to four Ruby and Rails conferences last year, which for me was huge. And it was fantastic. I had such a good time. I don't know why it took me so long to kind of do this, but I can't imagine not doing it now. I made so many friends and I don't know, like I'm at a spot where I don't need a lot of new work. I don't even necessarily need a conference for the learnings that you get. You can watch talks online, but I want to meet people in our community and be involved and make friends. And that was huge. And so I ended up going to Sin City Ruby first, and then RailsConf, and then Rails SAS, and then finally RubyConf Mini. All four were fantastic. It was really the smaller ones that I was able to make friends more easily. And it actually made going to RailsConf more enjoyable and less stressful because I already knew people because of going to Sin City, for example. I think it's so amusing that you and I had the exact same conference schedule last year. <laughs> okay, so have you been talking to any known conference organizers as advisors? And if so, have you gotten any great advice? Yes, I have actually had been able to talk to several people. I reached out to Jason Charns for advice because I knew him the best. We've chatted a couple of times. And so, and he's always been super gracious. He gave me some great advice. Andy Kroll reached out on Twitter and he said he'd offer to talk to me. So I took him up on that. I talked to both of them, I think back in November before deciding for sure if I was going to 
try to pull this off. And they were really helpful. And then I was able to talk to Gemma Isroff and Emily Samp, who organized RubyConf Mini this past week. They're also fantastic. And I'll tell you, one of the things about organizing is it's just stressful. And they have been so reassuring, <laughs> really. Having someone say, I understand how you feel. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this is so helpful, as well as all the advice. But there's the things to do, but there's also knowing that someone else knows how you feel is like so important. And then Adarsh Pandit, I think his name is, he's with Ruby Central. He's one of the organizers there and he offered to be a resource. He's been helpful to me. Talked with Andrew Culver, some online. And then even Jason Sweat last week on his podcast, we chatted about Sin City Ruby and all of them have been helpful and kind of given me clues into what to do and what not to do. That's amazing. Those are some of the best. So it sounds like you're in good hands in terms of advice. And I love the fact that it's a situation where it's never competitive, of course. Yeah. You want to see new conferences come because if someone comes to Blue Ridge Ruby and they love it, they're going to turn around and say, I love this experience. Where can I get more of it? Yeah. And you as an organizer can't be running these every quarter. So we need to have more people doing these because it's important and it keeps us really connected. Yeah, absolutely. Two of the biggest things that have been helpful so far. One is if you're funding it yourself, avoid catering lunch. It ends up being like a high cost, it's high complexity. There's a lot of different needs around food, but it's kind of like low reward. So if you can avoid, that seems to be one of the major headaches and major expenses of a conference. I'll jump in there real quick too. I mean, one of the great things about the venue that Jeremy chose is it's right in downtown Asheville. And of course, Asheville is known for great food. So there's a bunch of food options there. So I guess going along with that advice too, when people are planning a conference like this, if you can plan it in such a way so there are plenty of places for folks to eat that's close to the venue, then that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that was really helpful was that people will typically wait as long as possible before buying a ticket. And I'll tell you, without having any history behind me to say like what it looks like, it's very scary when you're trying to make projections and you don't know, you think you have a lot of interest, but like you don't know what people are going to do. And that's actually the case both with attendees and sponsorships and speakers. It's like all three things. Are the people going to come? Are people going to want to speak? And will companies help fund us? All of those things, you get these nice glimpses, but until the money hits Stripe, it's kind of like, is this going to happen? <laughs> I love that advice. It makes total sense. And I agree. We've talked with Gemma extensively on the show about planning RubyConf Mini and just, yes, the late tickets is definitely a thing. Yes, it's very kind to get, you know, a tweet that somebody is coming, but until they buy the ticket, like, are they coming? The traditional tool stack wasn't meant for this kind of hybrid work we're all experiencing now. Miro, on the other hand, was always designed for it. Designed to fit into your engineering workflow, not the other way around. Miro is an infinite digital whiteboard-like space where you can up your team velocity. Want to create user story maps, prioritize your backlog, organize tasks into sprints while connecting with your team? Miro's got tons of templates for that, no problem. Being able to shoot a link to a Miro board and bring other teams into the conversation, especially for engineering teams like yours that want to bring in marketing or product, it'll completely change how you think. Miro also has integrations with tools you probably already use like Jira, Azure, and Rally import tasks from them as native cards to visualize the big picture. Draw dependency lines, manage workloads, and make adjustments on the fly to stay aligned and on track. 
Miro's estimation app also gives you a clear understanding of work scope and lets you identify gaps in analysis or understanding and set clear expectations for delivery. Head on over to Miro.com slash Ruby, that is M-I-R-O.com slash Ruby, to check out the Ruby on Rails podcast community board in action. Get to know us, the co-hosts, play some games, and leave feedback on this podcast episode with sticky notes, comments, reactions, and more. That's Miro.com slash Ruby. Thank you to Miro for sponsoring the show. Okay, so I'd love to hear from you too about your open CFP. Could you give me an idea of what kind of talks you're looking for? Jeremy probably has more to share there, but I think we both, we've chatted about that some, and we're really open to anything that's sort of part of the Ruby community out there and making sure we sort of cover the gamut as far as introductory style talks where, you know, something that can cater to new Ruby developers and folks that are even new to software development all the way through to more advanced talks. I think because it's a single track conference, we sort of have to be aware that, okay, everybody who attends is going to be attending all of the talks there. So I do think it's important that regardless of the sort of technical level of a given talk that's being given that there's something there for everybody that comes. But I think sort of having something for everyone is one of the things that we've talked about trying to do. I mean, it's kind of scary and challenging when we've only got 10 talks, 10 slots. How do you balance it out so that you're giving something to newbies and seasoned programmers and people that are interested in the language and people that are interested in app development or just software development practices in general? Yeah, I think we both really like something that everyone could come and get something out of it and that there's enough diversity of speakers and topics to really satisfy everyone, hopefully. And I think sometimes it's helpful to go to talks that you might not have picked in a four-track conference. I think that you end up being exposed to things that you wouldn't have otherwise considered. So I think there's a real benefit to doing that. And I think it's also beneficial when you can do single track where everyone's together so that they can experience the same things and then have discussions around those things because it's a shared experience for everyone there. You can assume that everyone was there. I agree. When I went to Sin City and Rails SAS, I saw talks that I never would have selected that absolutely blew my mind. And it was so fun to like go to a happy hour after and just talk about it because you're right, Jeremy, like we were all there. We were there when that talk happened. And that in some ways creates that bonding experience because you're right. You can watch a talk that's recorded, but it's not the same as being in person and watching happen live. I think the other thing Chairman and I talked about is too, we've all been to conferences where when they're multi-track, you're really trying to decide what talks you want to attend. And you always have this FOMO factor there, fear of missing out. So I think there's a level of anxiety you don't have with a single track that you might have with a multi-track conference. For sure. So speaking of recordings, will talks be recorded and available later? I really hope so. So I think it's really important for speakers so that there's a way for their hard work to kind of live on beyond the conference. And I think it's really important for the Ruby community that people can have access to great Ruby content. But it really depends on sponsorships, I think is really what it comes down to. You know, I'm currently funding this conference out of pocket and video recording is the second biggest expense we have. I've already got a great quote from a good company to do it. We're really excited to have Evil Martians as our first sponsor. We announced them yesterday. 
So thankful for that. But we need a handful more before we can be sure to be able to cover video. It's kind of like a stretch goal. We have a sort of a base level. This is what we can do at a base level for the conference. But then these are our stretch goals. And it really depends on sponsorships to do that. I absolutely adore Evil Martians. That is a great sponsor to have on. Yeah, I was so excited. (laughs) We will definitely link up in the show notes as well, like how to get involved with sponsorship. So if you are interested in sponsoring Blue Ridge Ruby, please reach out and sponsor this conference. They definitely need your help and it's definitely worth it. Now, I know we have a cool reveal that's going to be revealed in the next question, but I'm going to aim this one for you, Jeremy, first. What are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I owe a huge debt to the Ruby and Rails communities. This is kind of where I've grown up as a software developer. It's how I've made a living for more than a decade. It's where I've learned and kind of developed a work identity and where I've made a lot of friends and found new opportunities, especially in the past year. And I think in the last two years, I've seen kind of new, fresh energy in both, in Rails and Ruby. And I've been kind of reinvigorated to invest even deeper in the community. And I think other people are as well. My hope is that we see a nice resurgence of the regional conferences But even more so, like new companies picking Rails at the beginning when they're founding, more solo founders and indie developers picking up Rails to start building on top of, especially with Rails 7 and Turbo. And it's a stack that more and more people ought to be headed toward. And I think they can be. I think there are a couple challenges that our community needs to solve around getting early career devs into our ecosystem. That's one. And then also working harder to become a more welcoming and inclusive community. Those are two things that I think are still hard challenges for us to be working on. But I also see lots of positive signs around those things. Lots of efforts. I'm seeing lots of different people trying to make improvements in those areas. So I want to be involved in that. I want to encourage that because I think that's how we strengthen our community. Our community is not mostly about tools. It's mostly about people. And if people don't feel welcome or people aren't taken care of, then communities die. And that's what's important. So that's what I want to focus on. I feel like that's something I can do. You know, it's kind of like when you look around, you see problems in the world and you're like, who's going to fix that? Or or you see things that are like, well, that's not the way it should be. Eventually you look around, maybe you decide like, oh, that's something I should probably be doing. In some ways, having lurked in the Rails community for so long, it was like, well, Jeremy, you've been around here for a decade. You're going to do something, you know, like there's a way that I think it's just important to kind of step up and start doing things for a long, long time. I always was looking for someone to tell me what to do. Maybe not everyone's like this, but whether it's bosses or parents or whoever, you're looking for people to say, hey, you should do this or I would like you to, you know, but then there's a point where you realize, oh, no, no one's going to say do this thing and you just do it yourself. No one's probably going to stop you. But like when you finally realize, oh yeah, I can just do this. I could just do this thing. It'd probably be helpful for me and other people. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. I'll say, you know, one of the first conversations I had with Jeremy was basically that specifically about the conference is one where, okay, this is going to happen. Then somebody just has to take the reins and do it. So that's why I was totally on board about at least being Jeremy's number two, you know, the early conversation we had, the way I ended it was, I'm 100% on board. Just let me know what you want me to do. I think the other interesting questions about where the community is going is, I think that's a good point. I've heard a lot of conversation the last year or two about new developers in Ruby on Rails. And 
It's interesting to me that a lot of the conversation, or at least what I'm hearing, is that like Rails is too hard of a framework to be able to grasp, which is sort of funny to me. The reason I migrated toward it is because of the convention over configuration model. I mean, it seemed mm-hmm. easier to grasp, whereas when you look at JavaScript and other frameworks that are out there, it feels very Wild West to me. So to me, in my mind, Rails is a much easier framework to grasp, though I will say that there are a lot of moving parts, and I think that is a challenge. Again, I teach, I'm a part-time instructor at a community college, so I work with students a lot. And it's very overwhelming to have conversations about not just the framework, but then about Git and about migrations, about how to interact with the database. I mean, these are all things that you're going to have to deal with with other languages and frameworks. So there's times I almost feel like it's a strike against Rails that they've already got processes in place to deal with those things, whereas other frameworks, maybe not so much. Again, these are all problems you're going to have to deal with anyway. But I think that is one of the challenges that we've got. So that, and then the other point I'll make is about this idea of greenfield applications. I think that's part of the question about where the community is going and where the framework is going is there's plenty of established Rails applications out there. And I think there's plenty of work to keep folks busy for the next 15 to 20 years, let's say. But beyond that long-term, when I say long-term, I'm thinking past decade or more is how many greenfield applications, new applications are being developed in Ruby and Ruby on Rails. And depending on that number, what are the career prospects for folks beyond 10, 15, 20 years? So I'm probably taking on too many things right now, but on top of Blue Ridge Ruby, I also have been working with a friend, Jess Brown. We're actually starting a new podcast called Indie Rails. So we're excited about bringing that to the Rails community as well. Hoping that is another place where, especially for small teams or independent people, you know, picking and working with Rails kind of hits that niche. A lot of our community's content is around larger teams, which is great. I read all that stuff. I love it. But for small teams and independents, I think we can do more. And that is an entry point into our community, I think. I think that's great. I would love to hear an episode about like how you pitch Rails to a prospective client. I'm curious like about maintenance. I just think there's so much you can do there. So welcome to the podcast community, Jeremy. Thanks, Brittany. So let's start with Jeremy. How can listeners follow you and the conference, of course? So our conference site is blueridgeruby.com. We've got CFP up currently. Early bird tickets are 249, I think, right now. And a sponsorship page with our different sponsor levels. We keep adding to an FAQ there with a lot of details about Asheville. We'll keep adding to that. And for me personally, uh, my tiny studio hybrid, it's hybrd.co. And I do some blogging there, although very little time for that right now. And then I'm also active on Twitter and lurking on Ruby Social with the handle Jeremy Smith Co. And again, my friend Jess Brown and I, we've got this podcast, Indie Rails. It's IndieRails.com. And I am Mark Locklear on most major platforms. And my personal website is locklear.me. Wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today to tell us all about Blue Ridge Ruby. It's a huge undertaking, but I want to give you the kudos for agreeing to do it. We'll definitely have to have you back on to hear about how it went. And listeners, if you're considering going, you should go. And we will link everything up in the show notes. And good luck to you both. Thank you so much, Brittany. Great. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Rupee on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.